Hi, and welcome to Edge Church Podcast. To get connected, visit our website or send us a WhatsApp. Say hi and we will connect with you. Our full services can be found on our YouTube channel. Today, we're in our Plot Twist series, focusing on the story of Joseph. Enjoy listening to the sermon today. Amen. Amen. Exciting times ahead. Well, we are in week two of our series called Plot Twist, where we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And and last week I, I launched our series and I'm packing a little bit about his journey about this thing called Plot Twist. When you look at his life, and then think of ours, and, and some of the experiences we've been through, I know this definition of plot twist makes so much sense. It says, plot twist is an unexpected occurrence or turn of event in your life that changes the direction or outcome of your life from the direction you thought it would go. And, and the thing is, it's, it's basically summarized, it's those moments when you go, I didn't see this coming. I didn't think I would be in this situation. It's in those moments where you, you look and you say, I can't believe this unforgiveness and betrayal, this thing of cancer, this thing of death. And, and like Leandri prayed, our hearts are with you, Kirsty and Stu, today, as you mourn your mom. And we think of you in this time, and it's those moments you look, you're like, this is such a plot twist. We didn't think it was going to be like this. And you can go through so many situations, I know from pastoral conversations, but also knowing the condition of the flock. There are many situations that people are situ- sitting in that it is completely plot twist. And I started, and last week we started looking at this thing of dysfunctional family. Hello. Let me just put a disclaimer out again. We all have levels of dysfunction in our family. Can I tell you why? Because there's all levels of dysfunction within us. <laughs> Someone sent me this meme, and I thought this was so true about some of us in our, in our families. Your family just puts the fun in dysfunction. <laughs> I was like, yo, I can see my brother in this one. Um, we put the fun in dysfunction of family units. But literally, the truth is that the way Joseph's life started when you introduced to his mal family and everything that was going on, it was a blended family through and through. All the dynamics that was taking place We see how Joseph still trusted in the providence of God. How do we know this? Genesis 50 verse 20, our anchor verse of the series. It says there, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And today, what I want to do is that I want to pick up now. So we've done Genesis 37 and we unpacked a little bit of 38. I want to pick up from Genesis 39 to 41 this week. And next week, we're going to continue on that journey. And so what's taken place so far? We know now there was the betrayal and we know what the brothers did. And we know that they're now throwing him in. But they thought, well, we don't want to just throw him in the pit. We're going to make it even worse. We are going to sell him. And so they do that because they thought he'll die in the pit. Oh, what are we going to gain for that? Let's make his life a living hell and sell him off. It's wonderful family, siblings that you have going on here. So they sell him off, and so now he's on his way, um, and he lands up in Egypt, and he sold to a man named Potiphar. And now we will find a little bit more in the sermon about who Potiphar is. But today I've titled my message, Shattered Dreams and Closed Doors. Shattered dreams and closed doors, when you look at the life of Joseph, and particularly when I unpack a little bit of today, but it's actually the hallmark, that he experienced the very disappointing things of dreams being broken, of doors being closed in his face, and I know many of us can relate to how this feels. And that's why when that disappointment just keeps coming, and, and, and often it's, it might be the same door that's closed, but because it's been so long, that disappointment sits there. 
Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 13 verse 12. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick unrelenting shattered dreams and closed doors, it actually leaves you heart sick. And you know this thing of closed doors and, and, and when dreams are literally shattered, you know it starts actually from a very young age. Think about it. You're 11 years old. You don't make that team. You are now in the F team and you thought you were going to be in the A team. And you're disappointed. But then even if you think about it and you're like, okay, we're even playing games and you have to choose. Oof, it's a sore point. When you have to choose two teams and you're that kippy that's still standing there right at the end and no one chooses you. And, and eventually they're like, oh, okay, Daniel, just be on the team. Don't do anything. Just say where you are. I wasn't very good at any kind of ball sports. <laughs> And there's that disappointment, and you, and you feel it even from a young age, but you think about it like, and you go through it as a, as a young person. You dream of, oh, I'm going to be married one day, and I'm going to be in this significant relationship, and it's, it's going to be like this, and, and you have this idea of even what marriage is, this person that you're going to be falling in love with, your prince. And you have these ideas of what's going on, and yet you just meet with disappointment or betrayal. That's, that's literally that your dreams are shattered in this. And then you think of maybe you're taking stock take of life and you, you're looking and you're like, what have I actually accomplished in my life? Even looking back and you think, I was so successful then and now you're like looking at your life and you're evaluating things and you're going, you know what? The last five years I've like given my life to this company. I've literally worked over hours. I have to work Saturdays. I have to do so many things. And, and you look at your life and you go, I've given so much and, and yet they still pass a promotion over me and I don't get it. And it's like it's another door closed. Or where you find yourself, where you're working, you feel like you're at a dead end. Well, the truth is maybe you have all the open doors with work or relationship. You, you're literally chosen on every team. You're good at academics. You know that child. They're just good at everything. Maybe that's you. God bless you and Jesus loved you and he created you. But for a lot of us, we, <laughs> we don't have that. And, and you look at that and you think, I have all of this. But then there's a situation out of your control, like death or a cancer report. And it literally feels like every door has been closed on you now. Jerry Garcia, a singer, he wrote a song uh, way back old school in 1976. Um, and old school. <laughs> and he wrote this, and, and I think it sums up, really, what it feels like to have shattered dreams. He said these words, he says, I was in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I was saying the right things, but I must have used the wrong line. I was on the right trip, but I must have used the wrong car. My head is in the right place, but I'm wondering what it's good for. Now, Joseph obviously didn't know the song, but let me tell you, I'm sure he could relate to these very lines of a song that was sung. You see, because as we're going to unpack now Genesis 39 and, and summarize it to, to verse 41, to chapter 41, I want to show you two points of Joseph's life that we can apply to ours, where we see that he dealt with doors that just seemed like they were closed, slammed in his face, dreams that were shattered. Because now if we fast forward to where we were last week in Genesis 37, we're now 11 years later on the journey. He's been sold off. Remember, I shared all of that. We've been sold off, and now we see 
the first truth that I want you to hear about Joseph's life is that he was an honest man, but yet he was falsely accused. So he's in his late 20s now that we, we can read according to Scripture. And this is actually the main reading for today, starting from Genesis 39. It says, that When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. And I want you to, to just remember that as we go through this account. The Lord was with him, and he succeeded in everything that he did. And he served in the home of one of the Egyptian masters. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his PA. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From that day, Joseph was put in charge of the master's household and property. And the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. When I read that, I thought to myself, the Lord blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. He's living his best life now with this man here. But you notice these words. It says that, that the Lord was with Joseph, so then he succeeded. And so things are looking good for him. Like, yes, fair enough, he's a slave in someone's house, but, but he's doing well in that point. And, and Potiphar noticed that, and he's like, hey, you're going to be now our peer, which is the highest position in the household. And all seems right, because isn't that how it's supposed to go? He, he's following, he's faithful. Uh, so isn't now the blessings and the doors are just going to open? Ah, oh, how we wish. Because there's, paradise, there's trouble in paradise here that's taking place. Because this is where we meet Mrs. Potiphar in the story. And now what we need to know is that just like Mr. Potiphar had his eye on Joseph and seen what he was doing, so did she. But she had it in a naughty way. She has naughty eyes that so she was looking <laughs> And you see what's happening here, and literally, I was thinking about it, she is the original OG of the Desperate Housewives of Egypt. <laughs> she started this, this, this series, because you listen to this account, and you can tell me now, this is a Desperate Housewife of Egypt. Genesis 39, verse 6, Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Just, you're not even like subtle, she demanded to him. But Joseph refused. He refused. He, he refused to go there, but, but Mrs. Potiphar, she doesn't give up on this situation. And look at verse 10. She goes, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he still refused to sleep with her. And he kept her out of, kept out of her way as much as possible. And now she is like, I'm done with you. And she does like everything she can. In actual fact, she gets everyone out, all the servants, out of the house. This woman's sharp. She's like, get everyone out the house. And now this is our opportunity. And verse 12, she came and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away. But he left his cloak in her hand as he ran away from the house. 
When she saw that he was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running back. Look, she said, my husband has brought his, this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. And she clipped the cloak with her until my husband came home. She shop. And then she told him her story that the Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. There he remained. He was thrown into prison. And now Genesis doesn't really unpack to us a lot about what the conditions were like. And you think, okay, well, he was in the king's prison. So I think maybe it would have been a little bit better than the normal prison. But in actual fact, we've seen in Psalm 105 how there's the backing of this. And it says this about Joseph. It says his feet, they hurt with shackles. He was put in chains of iron. So the condition that he's in, you can see he is fully in a prison cell. And, 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 and you think about this account, you go, he did nothing wrong. This man did nothing wrong for a man to refuse and refuse and refuse and still get accused. He was honest, and yet he was falsely accused. And you go and just put yourself in his shoes, or I mean in his sandals in this very moment. Think about it. Try and relate to it. Some of us men, we can relate to it because of that verse. It says, Joseph was very handsome and a well-built man. And we're like, I get that. <laughs> but honestly, imagine how you must have felt in a moment like this. You're going, I did nothing. And you just think about what we shared about last week, about the condition of his family and what he went through. He did nothing wrong. And yet, he's still falsely accused. Mrs. Potiphar gets away with it all. And he is thrown into prison. Honest, but falsely accused. Another door, another dream closed in his face. But then you see another account, and I actually think this one is even worse. Because of this, this is one of the things of those, it's like a final door that was closed. You see, because now we see, now Joseph, we just read that account, he's thrown into prison. And we see, number two, that he was used of God but forgotten. And you think to yourself, how? How is that possible? How can you be used by God, but then still forgotten? I think some of us can relate to this very well. Because you see this in Genesis 39 now. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Do, do you see the pattern? Everywhere this man went, he found favor because of the Lord. You read in accounts how he was near to God and there he found favor. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, take note, and caused everything he did to succeed. And this sets up now when we go into chapter 40. We will start to read about, in, in now we're in Thera's prison, the king's prison, where only the, the servants and those that serve are the king, they get sentenced here. 
And the two men, they land up in this prison cell that Joseph is now in charge of. We just read that account. Number one was the chief cupbearer, and the other one was the chief baker. That, if I wasn't a pastor, I would be a chief baker. <laughs> and we see what happens here about how these two men, they're in the prison cell, and there's an account that happens, and the Bible records that they were incredibly restless. They had these dreams, and, and they were so restless. And Joseph saw them in verse 6. He saw them the next morning, and he noticed they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And now the chief cupbearer, he he shares it first, and you read about it in verse 9 to 11, and then you hear what Joseph's response is in verse 12 and 13. But basically summarized, Joseph says this in verse 13 when he interprets now the chief cupbearer's dream. He says, within three days... Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to the position as chief cupbearer. And now verse 14 is very important to notice. So he says this to him. He tells him what he is. And then he says to him, but please remember me. He's talking to the cupbearer. I'm giving you interpretation. I'm helping you. But then he says to him, but please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, Mention me to Pharaoh, so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in the prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. And I I can sort of hear the response of the cupbearer, Yabru, I promise you, I will remember you. You know those Yabrus, everything is Yabru, Yabru, cool, you're coming over, Yabru, they don't come. And then like in a moment, it's like he's saying to him, of course I'll remember. You help me. You help me interpret a dream. I will remember you. Empty promises. In verse 16 and 19, it gets about the chief baker. Now, unfortunately, his interpretation is not so great because you, now you read in verse 19, it says, three days later, Pharaoh will lift you up, impale your body on a pole, and the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Can you imagine? Someone gives you an interpretation of that dream. But basically, what happens? Three days later, all of this passes. And you see this in 40, um, verse 20 to 21. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position by Pharaoh, by giving his cup. But then Pharaoh impaled, like he said, the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. And now this is the important verse. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, however, when you see that in scripture, you need to know, forgot all about Joseph, never given him another thought. He forgot all about him. And all that Joseph was saying, he's like, please don't forget about me. Please listen to me. I'm stuck here. Don't forget about me. I've helped you, please. And I know you're going to remember me. And I can sort of imagine Joseph sitting there. They're now gone. But he's still there, waiting. One day passes. I'm sure they're about to come and take me out. A week later, a month later. And you know that waiting, it kills every one of us. I don't know about you, but I struggle to be in the waiting time of life. You know, when you're like, God says to you, just, just be still and wait here. No, no, no. I want to be in control. I think about it like, even when I'm doing an order on take a lot, when I see that the stock is in Johannesburg, I'm like, oh, for flip's sake. Now I need to wait five days instead of just waiting two days. 
then I want to find a different product because I'm like, no, I can't wait that long for this thing to come. You, know, you laugh because you guys are the same. Checker 60 minutes was the best thing ever. I am like, can I not be checker 60 seconds though, please? It's like, we've never had it. And now within an hour, it's, it's, it's too long. I need the stuff now. We struggle with the waiting. Now, just imagine Joseph. I'm being used by God in the prison. I mean, he's using me. I, I was used in the house of Potiphar, but now I was falsely accused. And now, now in this moment, where are you, God? Have you forgotten about us? Have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about the dream that you gave for my life? It now just seems like it's shattered in these closed doors. And Joseph now sits in this prison cell in the misery and sitting in the waiting. I'm going, no one's coming. Because it wasn't just weeks of waiting. Because you read about in the very next, in chapter 41, it says that two years had passed. Two full years had passed until the cupbearer went, oh my gosh, I actually remember there was someone I was supposed to. Shut, brew. Thanks for remembering me two years later. That's why I said in Proverbs 13 verse 12, that unrelenting disappointment leaves your heart sick. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that going, I know that feeling. Like, I feel like I'm just always in the waiting or looking at my life and saying, God, where are you in all of this? And I think of Joseph's life and I'm like, how did he manage not to become an angry, resentful, bitter man? How did he face all of this and yet still in the plot twists of life come to a place and go second in charge with the favor of God and we see the blessing that he saves thousands of lives? How did he do this? Last week I shared about what an application that we need to hold on from his life is about trust. This week, it's an application of an unwavering faith in an unwavering God. You see, when you look at Joseph's life, there was an unwavering faith that he had. And let me tell you, it's not just a thing where you need to just keep saying, well, no, 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 brother, you need to just have more faith. You need to have more faith that this is gonna be sorted. Listen to me, you can have as much faith as you really want, but where are you placing your faith? Because it's this truth of it's an unwavering God. It's believing in the promise that, God, I'm sitting in a prison, but you are still faithful. Your goodness is still good to me. Why? Because he is unwavering. That's why you could have unwavering faith. And when you look at his life and you look at Joseph, that's what he held on to. That things were not great. And yet he still had a faith because he believed in the goodness of God. And that kept him from not doubting God when all the doors kept closing. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I'm in a place like that, I doubt, God, did you really speak to me? Or am I just making up things in my head? God, am I really actually meant to be in this position? Or is it just because of my dad and that's why he's there? And the enemy gets into our head and we start doubting, really. We see that right in the beginning in Genesis. The serpent says to Eve, did God really say that? And we start doubting God, and in actual fact, we sang about it. He has never failed us, and he'll never start failing us now. 
And that's why when Paul speaks about this in Romans 8, 28, when he said about this, and this is so applied to Joseph's life, and we unpacked this last week, we see that, and I know those who love God, all things will work together for the good. Those according to his purpose. And now Joseph's story, and you look at it in the very short part that we've just covered so far, we see from his life, and it's a truth that we apply and we can understand, is that people will let you down, but God will never fail you. But people will disappoint you. You know, people, I can say that, and you can think of, oh, yes, my colleague did this. Actually, bring it closer to home. Sometimes the person that you gave your life to has disappointed you, has betrayed you. Your own children, you think, how? And there's those feelings that we, we carry. And this is why in Isaiah, he says this in, in verse 2, verse 22. He says, stop trusting other people to save you. Stop putting your faith in, but my manager's going to do this. They, they promised me that. Or this one promised me that and this. And oh, what's going to be this great business? And, and look what's happened. And why Isaiah says, stop putting your trust in people. Do not think too highly of them. There are only humans who have not stopped breathing yet. Basically, you know what this verse is implying. Why bank your hopes on all that, on that person, on that one? Because in actual fact, if they stop breathing today, well, we are there now. Put your hope in a God that, that is everlasting, that is eternal, that is not going to stop breathing on you. Because the truth is that people disappoint us. They fail you. They give you empty promises. They forget about you, maybe like what Joseph. Leave you hanging out to dry and you think, I thought you were family. I thought this was going to be experience and yet you find yourself in that place. Church, hear me? I don't want that for anyone. But I know that that's the truth and I have experienced that in my own life where people have disappointed me. And, and sometimes when we're in a place like that, we tend to want to have to run away. We want to run away from God and we blame God. Can I please encourage you, run to God in a moment like this. Run to Him in that very place. And Jeremiah shows us this, the difference between a person who puts their trust and hope in God versus a person who puts their trust and hope in man. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Bad things will happen to those who put their trust in people. Bad things will happen to those who depend on human strength. That is because they have stopped trusting the Lord. In verse 7, it says, But those who trust in the Lord will be blessed. Those who put their hope in Him that know the Lord will do what He says. They'll be strong like trees planted near a stream that sends out roots to the water. They have nothing to fear, and I believe, and I said it in our first service, I believe there's some of us, and I believe it's a prophetic word, that we're so gripped to fear right now. That in our heart of heart, we know what we need to do, but fear grips us. Whether it's fear of what others are going to say, or whether it's fear of what your outcome will be. The Lord says, they have nothing to fear, when the days get hot, their leaves will always be green. They never worry, even a year that has no rain, they always produce fruit. See, last week we saw that Jesus, Joseph trusted in God. He trusted, but he also had an unwavering faith. Unwavering means, the Greek word often would, would use it as it says, 
faith without doubt. An unwavering faith in God. That even when the doors close, even when dreams are shattered and you're thinking to yourself, I'm in this place, really? This is what my life is right now? And that's why we keep going back to Romans 8. We mentioned last week, I've already mentioned it. But you know, when you read Romans 8, 28, we know that verse well. He'll work all things for the good. But actually take it a few verses earlier. Verse 26, what does it say? Meanwhile, the moment will get tired in the waiting. The moment we get tired, you know when you're in that waiting, it's tiring. That relenting disappointment makes the heart sick, it's tiring. But the moment when we are in the waiting of going, God, is this dream ever going to happen? Is there ever going to be an open door? It says that when God's Spirit is right there alongside us, helping us along, if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He pr- does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of the wordless sighs or the aching groans that we experience. For He knows us far better than we know ourselves knowing our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail, notice says every detail, not just when you're at church, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. You see, Joseph understood that God's ways are not always how we think our ways should be. God's timing is not necessarily what our timing is. Remember I said, God has no watch, but he's never late. He's never late. The truth is, do you really believe that? When you're in this space, can you confidently say, God, I know you're not late on me right now. I know that you're doing something. I need to take the long look right now. I need to see where you're working. God, I'm believing in you. And I believe for many of us today, You have an overwhelming feeling inside of you and saying, there's been so many doors and dreams that have closed on me right now. That life is just one big plot twist, to be honest. And you read the story of Joseph and you go, I can relate to that. But can I tell you someone who we can relate to even more? It's Jesus, our Savior, who went through his own plot twists. What am I asking for you to do today? So come to that place and say, God, I need you to help me to have unwavering faith. How do you do that? I'm asking you today is to come to Jesus. Instead of running away, come to him. Just as you are. So come with him, to him with the, the disappointment, the betrayal of I thought the business was going to like this and that person walked out on me. Come to him with, with, the, with the anger that you might have to, to that person. Come to him with the disappointment that you might even have with him. Don't worry, he won't fall off his throne. Come to him with those things and say, this is how I'm feeling. He desires for you to just come. But so often we think, I'll do it by myself. I've got it under control. I can sort myself out. I don't need anyone. That's rubbish. We spoke about that. The big deal about belonging, God created us to belong, to belong to him and to belong to others. And so what am I calling you to do? It's to run to Jesus. 
Don't pretend like you need to have it all together. Oh, I need to make sure that I know how to do this, do that, pray like this, do this, have these many verses. Just come to him. Psalm 27 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But take note, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And then again, wait for the Lord. In verse 73, my health may fail. My dreams might be shattered. I might be in the greatest plot twist that is ever imaginable. Netflix doesn't even compare to what's going on in my life. I might have nothing and my spirit is weak. Look what it says. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. How do we hold on to that unwavering faith? We need an unwavering God. And you have to come to Him. And so in this moment, as we're doing our services, I want you just to be still. And in actual fact, what we're doing is that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. You see, because it's the Holy Spirit that does the real deep work and change. And so right now, I want to encourage you to close your eyes, to be still, and to ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Is it fear that's holding me? Allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you right now. Father, in this space, we lift our stuff to you. We lift ourselves to you. Present ourselves to you and say, God, this is, this is what it is. Even though things won't fail me, my health, my spirit, conditions around me, family, relationships. But God, you, your promise is that you will remain the strength of my heart. Why? Because you are unwavering. You never change. You never fail me. And so, Lord, I present each one what they're carrying right now to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, places where we saying, God, I need more. I need more faith to believe because I'm doubting too much. And Father, that you would do that. Your Holy Spirit will, will implant and, and, and do something in, in lies that no one else can do it, but only you can bring that change. 
I believe in the God that can move mountains, a God that can do things again even when we think it's impossible. The amount of times I failed, there's no ways that God can do this for me again. It's rubbish. And so, Lord, we lift that to you. And in this space, I just pray. I want to pray for those maybe each week we'll do this call, an invitation. You haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. Today's an opportunity for you. We've been speaking about this, this God who will remain faithful, and you're thinking, but I haven't. I don't know who you're talking about. Today's an opportunity. If that's you and you want to make, make a decision, all eyes closed. I want to know who I'm praying for, and it's also an act of faith. I want you just to lift your hand. You say, Dan, will you pray for me? I need to make a decision to follow Jesus today. I can feel that there's an emptiness inside of me. So that's you. Just lift your hand so I know I'm praying for And then I want you to pray this prayer with me today. God, today, I make a decision to intentionally choose you. God, I'm making a decision to to say that I'm turning from the way I've lived, that emptiness that I've been in, and today I'm coming to you. And so, Lord, I pray, whether the hand went up or not, I know that you see, you see everything. And so I pray for whoever made that decision, say this prayer, God, today I choose you. I choose you. Thank you for your grace and your love upon each one of us and God's people say together, amen. Come on, let's give God praise for what he's done and thank him for his goodness. We trust that you enjoyed listening to the sermon today. We would love to stay in touch with you about your next steps. Please send us a WhatsApp or contact us via our website. We'd love to help you on your discipleship journey.